Hello and welcome to Bougie Adjacent. I'm Amanda Lauren. Before we get started, I just wanted to say hello to anyone who's listening to this podcast for the first time. I also want to apologize for the sound on this intro. I was having some technical difficulties, but I'm going to make it super quick because I know why you're here. You're here for Ryan Serhant and this incredible interview that I did with him, but I just thought I would pop in for two seconds. Well, it's technically more than two seconds and share for a bit. Um, I am an interior design expert. I'm a Forbes contributor. I write for several other publications. I also have an online course called Pitch Please, where I teach small businesses how to get featured in the media without hiring a publicist. Um, I have an art line with Art Sugar. And um, I'm an influencer, and I do about a million other things. And so I think that's really what sort of ended up making this interview as interesting as it was. So we started out talking about 101 West 14th Street, which is Ryan's, um, one of the buildings that he's marketing. It is incredible. It's in Union Square, and he talks all about it. So I won't spoil that. Um, And one thing I was really thinking about while he was talking about all of this and just also watching the shows and thinking about who he is was like, how does he get this all done? Because he's a father. He was renovating a multi-million dollar townhouse. He's his business. He has two reality shows. And then he also has an educational platform and a bunch of other businesses as well. And I just like want to know his secrets. Well, how do you do it all? And we just ended up going deep and we got into it and we talked about his challenges in life, that he was an overweight kid and he moved a lot and he wasn't picked for sports. And while he found his love in theater, he moved to New York to become an actor and that also was not so easy for him. And he showed a really vulnerable side that it just is not what you hear on TV and not what you see on TV. And I think that that's something really important to know. Coming out of the pandemic, we've all been going through it. We've all been going through difficult times. Now, obviously, to varying degrees for everyone, but we've all just been experiencing these challenges and this trauma. And now as we get back into some remote sense of normality or, and I hate this term, the new normal or the new, new normal, we're all trying to be productive. We're all trying to get it done and we're all trying to figure it out. And you look at Ryan and you think, oh, he is, he's an incredibly handsome man. He's wealthy. He's talented. He's self-made. You think, what problems could he have ever have had? And I was so shocked to find out that It was really the challenges he had in his life that made him the person who he is today. And I think that, I don't know, I really, I've been going through it a bit. And I think that hearing him really motivated me. I got up a little bit earlier today. It kind of gave me a kick in the pants. And I hope it gives you a kick in the pants. And it also shows a side of someone from Bravo that, like I said, you don't see this on camera. And, you know, he talks about this too, that like with the housewives, you're not tuning in for their glamorous lives. You're tuning in for the unglamorous aspects of their lives. Um, You know, going to work hungover, getting divorced, challenges with friends, etc. And he was telling me that he does try to show more of that on Bravo, but obviously the editors kind of 
edit that part out, but you definitely see it more as the seasons go on. And especially this season with Million Dollar Listing New York, I've definitely seen it. Um, not this episode, I would say two weeks ago. This episode is coming out on June 23rd. Um, just going through it. Things not so easy. So I, I just can't thank Ryan enough for doing this interview. Uh, if you want to read more, it's also on the Forbes website and that information is in the show notes. If you want to know more about 101 West 14th Street, you can click on the article. That will also be in the show notes. Um, so if you like this show, please do me a solid. Subscribe, rate, review, share with a friend. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at It's Amanda Lauren. That's also linked in the show notes or on Twitter at Amanda Lauren. And again, thank you so much to Ryan for doing this interview. I know all of you are going to love it. And let's get started. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to put Ryan on. Trust me. Go for it. Listen to the whole thing. It's amazing. Hello and welcome to Bougie Adjacent. I'm Amanda Lauren. I am so excited to welcome one of my favorite real estate brokers slash Bravo celebrities um, slash just one of those New Yorkers who everyone is talking about to the show, Ryan Serhant. Thank you so much for Hi. being on. Of course. Thank you for having me. So I want to get into it. I want to hear about one of your newest listings. I want I want a lot of tea spilled. I want it all over the floor. I want to mop it up. But we'll start. <laughs> we will get down to business. So I know that you are representing 101 West 14th Street. It's in the heart of Union Square. It is, I don't want to yeah. say, I think it would offend other locations to say it's one of the best locations in New York, but it really, really is. So I want to know, tell me about this amazing building that you're repping. So 101 West 14th Street is probably one of the most architecturally significant projects in New York City right now. Um, you can see it up and down 6th Avenue, left and right on 14th Street. It is uh, highlighted by 20-foot ceilings with single-pane pieces of glass that are each 18 feet tall, uh, which you just do not see. It's way too expensive to create, way too expensive to install. The facade of this building is unlike anything I've ever seen. It's like a, it's like a glass uh, Rubik's Cube that has been placed on the northwest corner of 6th and 14th. It's pretty insane. Uh, the location for me is pretty amazing, not just for access to public transportation, but 14th is really one of the main arteries for New York City. And so you can get anywhere. You know, you walk out your door, you go left, you're in Union Square in a block. You walk out your door and you go right, you're in Silicon Valley East, you know, with Google and Facebook and the Chelsea Market. And, you know, the new park that just opened, Little Island is a few blocks away. You walk one block south, you're in Greenwich Village, you take one right, you're in the West Village, you go up north by one block, you're in Flatiron. So you're, you're, you're kind of in this nexus of all of the most amazing neighborhoods in New York City, and you're incredibly central. And so that's where I like it the most. And the building itself is, I mean, like I said, it's just beautiful. Um, there's 44 apartments, 13 floors. It's going to be finished construction this year. By the end of the year, we just have our brand new model units that are in there now, which are pretty great. Uh, and the building's selling really well. We actually just raised prices, which I haven't done in like six years on anything. 
Yeah. What is going on in the, like, just a side note, what is going on in the New York City market in general? Because I've heard different things from different people and I want to hear it from the expert. So the New York City market is interesting. Historically, New York has led the market for the United States. And due to COVID, this is the first time the United States is leading the market for New York because COVID really pushed people to move to bigger spaces, right? Land, the ability to get outside, extra bedrooms for offices so the kids could go to school. People didn't want to be on top of each other anymore the way they do in New York City because the reason people sacrifice space in Manhattan, in Brooklyn, in Long Island City is because you're sacrificing it for the betterment of your neighborhood because you don't really live in your apartment, right? You go to the office, you're at lunch meetings, you're out to dinners, you're going to Broadway, you're experiencing Manhattan. That's the benefit of being here because the city is the house, right? It's the house, it's what we're in. Your apartment is where you, you, you hang out, watch a little TV and go to bed. Um, and so Manhattan had a really hard time in 2020. You know, we were doing some very tough deals. I think I actually brokered maybe the worst deal this isn't even anything to brag about, but just to give you an idea uh, of the worst deal in the history of New York City where the seller took a 51% loss. Um, wow. The seller, the seller paid over $34 million for an apartment, and then I brought the buyer, got it for just over 16. So still big numbers. You know, from the buyer's point of view, when we were doing that deal in the middle of summer last year, it was second wave is coming around. We're not, COVID is still very much here. Who knows when we'll get a vaccine? Am I going to really spend $16 million on an apartment in a building that maybe no one ever wants to come back to? It's crazy to say that now, but a year ago, that felt very, very real. And the seller, you know, was um, obviously they were, they were pushed by fear. Um, now it's a little bit different. Now inventory is slowly starting to go away. Prices are starting to rise again. Activity is incredible. I mean, there are more contracts signed every single week since January 1 than wow. any week ever before. There's been more deals done in the first five months of this year than in the entirety of most years ever. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing to see. And it's New Yorkers coming back. It's also the effect of what happens when you put New York City on everyone's TV screen as the epicenter of the United States coronavirus outbreak, right? We have all the news channels are in New York. It was the death ticker. It was bodies on the FDR. It was the tents in Central Park. It was the U.S. Navy coming to help us. And what happens when you make New York City front of mind is, and it's a terrible comparison, but it just has to be said, it's exactly what happened after 9-11, right? After 9-11, a lot of New Yorkers were scared about New York, but everyone's TV all around the world said New York is now on sale for a limited period of time. And so we now have people all over the world focused on New York City and coming in and trying to get a deal. And so it's been incredibly, incredibly busy. I mean, I, I can only I can only imagine what what it's been like. And it must just be I mean, it's it's a wild time. And like, I hate to say this because you can't say, you know, a pandemic was good. But I think like there were a lot of silver linings for a lot of people. And it looks yeah. like for you, you had that great break with your family. You had you know, you went to New Hampshire, you spent time with them. And now, and now you're just working harder than ever and you have so much going on. So 
it really turned out to be there were definitely some bright spots in the darkness for you and for New York as a whole. Yeah, I mean, it was such a weird year for everybody, but we worked the entire time. You know, we left New York City for four weeks uh, because we were obviously scared like everybody else. And I've got a baby and I've got uh, a mother-in-law who's over 60, who's asthmatic. And, you know, so we, we didn't want to leave anything to chance. We went to New Hampshire in the middle of the woods where COVID couldn't get us and we stayed there by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I worked every day. You know, I went into the garage. I set up a desk for myself. And I zoomed on some terrible internet speed, by the way. New York, New Hampshire really has to get its game together um, and kept things moving. And that's also during the time where I said, I don't want to sit and just wait because then I feel like I'm going to be behind. So I wrote my second book during quarantine and put that out this February. And then I also started my new company. I left my last brokerage in July and started the new business, launched it in September. So we were, we were pretty busy. I mean, I don't, let me ask you, what are your, how do you do all of this? Because you, uh, there's an incredible amount. I know that you have a team and I know that there's an, but there's still an incredible amount of work you have to do and you shoot a reality show. So let me, I just want to know, like, two, see, like for two me, reality shows, you shoot two reality shows. Okay. So what are your best productivity tips? Um, I'm incredibly efficient with my time and I do not waste time. You know, I tell, uh, we, have a, we have a large education platform as part of the business too. Um, and so we have, uh, we have a lot of course members all over the world. I think right now we're just over 7,000 uh, salespeople in 110 countries as of last week. Um, and this is a question they ask me too. You know, they feel like they're running around with their heads cut off like a chicken, but they're not getting nearly enough done. And then they look at us and they're like, but you did this and this and this, how do you do that? What you need to do is a little tip. You know, when people have, you know, food diaries, when they're trying to go on a diet, they're really trying to see because they say, oh, I don't even eat that much food. How am I still gaining weight? Okay, keep a food diary for seven days. Anything you put in your mouth, write it down. And at the end of seven days, let's look back and see actually how much you ate. Because, you know, if you're up for 18 hours during the day, you don't think you're eating a lot, but turns out you're snacking like six times and so on and so forth. So I do that with time. So I want you to keep a detailed record for seven straight days. What did you do every minute, every half hour, every hour? And then let's look back after those seven days and really see where you were spending a lot of your time. And it's amazing what people find. Like I had no idea I was on social media that long. Like 15 hours of my entire week, wow. like one full day. But it's, that's, I mean, that's, that's less than average, right? You know, commuting can be a really, really, really long time for people. Um, Watching TV can be a really long time. Uh, Meals, you know, they take extra. All these things start to add up. You're like, wait a minute. So I'm super, super busy, but I spent 37 hours last week on things I didn't really need to spend them on. Now, obviously, we all need mental breaks, right? Watching TV is not the devil. It's fine. It's great. You know, great shows out there. There's great content. Um, Mm -hmm. But then you don't have the right to complain about it. And so I am very calendared. I have my lists. I have a team that understands what they need to do. And we take initiative and we execute, right? And I'm also a big goal setter. I know what I have to get done for the week. I know what I want to get done. And I make sure that we get them done. So writing the book, I set out three months. I'm going to write this book for three months. And I backed backed into it. All right, how many words is that going to be? 
all right, so how many chapters do I need to put together? Okay, so I'm going to have first drafts of these chapters by then. I'm going to do revisions by then. Bah, 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 bah. And so when you set it all up like that, just kind of like, like a workout, right? Um, then you're only really letting down yourself if you lie to yourself about not hitting your goals. Where people get stuck is they say, I'm going to write a book. And then six months go by and you're like, yeah, I still got to, I still got to write it. I still, I, I'm thinking about the idea. <laughs> it's like, okay, great. So you weren't really going to write a book. You have an idea to think about writing a book, very different things. Um, and so you have to be calendared. You have to be disciplined and you have to set goals and give yourself little rewards. You know, I used to tell myself like, all right, if I hit my goals this week, I'm getting a new pair of shoes. <laughs> if I don't, then I don't get to get a new pair of shoes. Or I'm going to have my cheat meal on Saturdays. Like I love, you know, Oreos, and ice cream and all that stuff. Like I have a massive sweet tooth and it, it, it's the bane of my existence. So if I get all my <laughs> stuff done, I am going to destroy my life like a like 10-year-old fat Ryan on Saturdays. And sometimes I don't do it because sometimes I don't hit my goals and it really pisses me off. But it makes me want to work harder the next week. Wait, were you a fat kid? This is sort of interesting. I wasn't – I was overweight. Yes. I, if you ask my mom, I was not fat, but I was overweight. I was bullied about it and I had super bad skin, really bad. That probably bothered me a lot more than, than the weight though, uh, more than anything. Because I, you know, once I hit high school, I learned that there was a connection with my body to the food that I ate and to the amount of physical activity that I wasn't doing. And so I started working out and all of a sudden I was like, oh, I can control the way my body looks. That's pretty crazy. I don't have any control in my life. This is one thing I can control. And I still work out and watch what I eat to this day. Um, my skin, on the other hand, was not the same. No matter what I did through high school and college, I could not control my skin um, until I got older. And then I kind of figured it out. And that was, uh, that was a tough one. I'm, do you think that drives you at all to be, because obviously you're such a driven person and you're such an accomplished person, but like, does that voice of like, does that voice or the bullies, does all of that in your head, do you think that's made you who you are today? I think we all have our walls that we run away from if we really admit it to ourselves. Um, uh, you know, for me, I came to New York City to try to make something of myself and I very quickly ran out of money. And so I, I still, as if it were yesterday, uh, I remember what it was like being in New York City in the summer of 2008 uh, in the heat and the humidity um, uh, uh, with no money, you know, and how terrifying mm -hmm. that was. And I wasn't going to be homeless. I could always move home. I've got great parents, uh, but they also weren't willing to help me. And it was, okay, Ryan, if you want to be in New York City and you want to do whatever you want to do with your life, then figure it out. Um, and that's how I got into real estate because I, I didn't want to bartender or wait tables or be a temp you know, receptionist or go back to school and take on debt or something. And so I got my real estate license to help me pay the bills because acting, which is what I was doing or trying to do anyway, is very similar to meeting people on the street and showing them apartments and getting to know complete strangers. All you have to do is ask questions. That's exactly what theater is. You just ask questions and you listen. Um, uh, and so that time of my life really does push me, um, as well as the fact that I worked at a very small firm and you know, we were really looked down upon 
a lot of people said I wasn't a real agent. When I got cast on Million Dollar Listing, there was a lot of snarky comments and responses, and a lot of haters, and you know, a lot of people saying that I would never, you know, amount to anything, and I'd never be a top broker, and blah 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 blah. And all of that, I think, fuels me to this day. That's that's amazing. I feel like this is a side of you that people don't know because we see you on Million Dollar Listing, and we see you on you know, Ryan's renovation and you seem so like tough and together and like, you know, (laughs) the end result we do, but we don't necessarily see, see the beginning. And, you know, what I think that people like about Bravo shows, I would say, or that you don't really see much struggle. I mean, people like, I think people really, I try to put struggle in. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm sorry to cut you off. I, I, it's funny you say that because I, I talk about this to the producers all the time. Um, and I, I feel like the first couple seasons, there was zero struggle whatsoever. There was like two minutes in every episode of struggle <laughs> to hook the viewers. And then it was like, ah, they figured it out, um, <laughs> which is, you know, which is fine. Uh, now I think there is, there is more struggle because I, I think it became very boring for people just to sit around and watch people win all day. You know, like you you know, like the housewives are, you know, gorgeous, beautiful, you know, they've got great houses and all this money, but you don't tune in to see them doing property tours at her mansions. You tune in to see like, okay, she has everything. How is she going through divorce? You know, how is she handling her backstabbing friends? How is she handling being hung over and having to go to work? Like, (laughs) you know, it's, it's making it really relative for people. So I try to do that as much as I possibly can on, on MDL uh, and in our vlog, right, on YouTube. I don't, it's not all winning all day long. It's a lot of, you know, how to get over struggle, how to get through bad days, how to handle loss in the only ways that I know how. Um, and it's also funny you say that, that, you know, you would have no idea any of these things about me. It, when I, you know, I give speaking, uh, I give speeches and keynotes all around the country. Um, I often ask people like, hey, where do you think I'm from? And everyone says New York. Like, well, you're the New York guy. You're that broker, that super confident guy. You step out in the middle of the street to go get your car. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> like The things that people focus on. It's so funny. I'm like, all right, well, I was born in Texas, uh, in Houston, on a mattress. Um, I moved around eight times before fourth grade. And I had to figure out how to make new friends in every single school that I went to. Uh, and I sucked at every single sport and I didn't have that many friends except for the theater kids. That's how I got into theater. And then I came to New York and blah, 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 blah. And people are always like, what? So crazy. Well, I mean, I, think I don't know that... if this is, I don't know if this is what your podcast is about, but now we're just, no, like I, I don't care. Like <laughs> I, I want to hear this. And it's so, and here's the thing about, you know, being in real estate or I would say selling anything is that you have to be good at making friends. People have to like you to want to work with you. I mean, for anything. Yeah, no, you have, I mean, and what I tell people all the time, one of the key tips, and when you realize this in sales, it, it really starts to reframe the way you go about prospecting and building your business is everyone hates being sold, but everybody loves shopping with friends, right? You are, you see something online, a dress, you send a photo of it to a girlfriend. You're like, Hey, should I get this? It's not the salesperson you're texting it to, right? It's your friend. Um, and so when you realize that you realize I'm not out there making clients, I'm out there making as many friendships as I possibly can. And there's no rule against how many friends you're allowed to have. And so go make friends. They don't have to be your best friends. They have 
closest friends, but they can be friends. And what is a friend? A friend is somebody who listens and actually cares, right? And understands. And kind of like we talked about at the beginning of this, this, this conversation we're having, like that, that was theater for me, right? Theater is all about breathing and listening and then listening to respond instead of listening to just reply, which is what most salespeople and most people honestly do. Like we all have those friends and we all know those salespeople who you'll say something, a concern, this, that, the other, and they'll say, oh, well, anyway, me, because they're not really listening. They're just waiting for you to stop talking so they can tell you what they want to say, which is a reply versus a real friend or a great salesperson who listens to what you're saying. They internalize it. They understand it. And then they respond to you. Um, and then that branches out from there. But yes, right. It's about making friendships. It's, I mean, you're, I mean, everyone feels it's so funny. I mean, like you watch, you watch these shows and you get into them and, you know, you sort of become the friend in people's, in people's heads, which is totally true. Well, Ryan says this about real estate or, you know, speaking of struggle, you know, I will, I will say this though. The one thing that I sort of love about Ryan's renovation that I don't think other people realize is that you can have, and I I forget how much you spent, how much was the total project for the house? It was what the house was, it was the townhouse was 7 million and you put how, how much into it? I forget. Oh yeah. I don't, I, don't, I honestly don't really want to, don't want to go into it because it's such a big number, but yeah, I bought it for 7.6 and then put millions, millions, millions upon millions into it. They, they have a running tally on the show. That's the only reason why I ask. And I was great. Watching... Well, I haven't seen that episode yet. So... Oh, they had like a, Oh my gosh, it's really, really funny. And to some people, to many people, that's almost, it's not an unlimited budget, but it's an extremely high budget by anyone's standards, to be fair. And what yeah. I kind of love seeing is that you can spend that kind of money or you could spend, you know, a, a fraction of the cost someplace that's not New York and you still can't get everything you want because that no, doesn't or the level sense. of service you want or the timing you want. No, no, no matter what you spend, everything's a pain. I mean, I always you know? joke around that I could turn a Home Depot into my personal closet and I still wouldn't have enough space for my <laughs> shoes. And it's, so it's funny. the truth. So let me ask, did you, because I think the season finale is this week. Do you have any design regrets? What did you, like, I, do you love living in Brooklyn? Like, how is it going? Yeah. Um, first, I do love living in Brooklyn. And, and I think I also love it because relatively, it is so different from Soho, which is where I work, my main office. That's where I'm talking to you now. Um, and where I live for six years. You know, Amelia and I got married. We had our first baby. We lived in our Soho apartment for a long time. And, you know, we'd walk one block south and you're in Tribeca, you know, you got all the shops in Soho, you're right below, you know, the village, it's an awesome location. But, you know, you sacrifice things to be in that area, like space. Uh, the townhouse is huge. It's a significant amount of space. It's great outdoor space. It's really cool to be in it, to be honest. Um, and I built it exactly the way I wanted it, you know, from the color of the brick to the artwork, to the ceiling heights, to the lighting all the furniture to the stone um it's pretty perfect you know we're, we're finishing the landscaping right now the workers should actually be there 
um, as I'm talking, which would be great. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's great. Anything I would change? Um, I mean, the only changes I would make would end up being, would have, would have cost me more money. <laughs> like would have just been adding on things like an outdoor shower on the roof, right? So when you're sitting out, you're sweaty because I don't have that. Like that would be nice. But then I got to run water up to the roof. I got to do this, I got to do that. Like little stuff like that that just is, is just kind of pointless. That's, that's, I mean, I think, you know, I love an outdoor shower. So I'm like, well, that's not pointless, but, but I get it. You've poured tons of money into that show. So have you, so you're not caught up with you. You've not seen how they've edited it. Right. I mean, I've seen, yeah, no, I've seen a little bit of it. So I know that the price tag around the left, I didn't know if they, I I just, the season finale is this week, this Thursday, and I have no idea what it's going to be. Um, uh, or what they're going to show or what they're going to say, because they don't, they don't tell us about it early. Well, the best, I mean, I have to say the best part of last episode was the, I think he was a priest going around and blessing the house with the holy water. And the yeah. Smoke. I yeah. mean, that he was. He like sprays it on everybody. Yeah. That was the, the best. That was, I just thought that was hilarious. Do you feel like having the cameras wall because a renovation and making those decisions, it's such a hard, like it's not an, listen, it once took me six months to choose a soap dispenser. So I can't imagine a project of that magnitude. Was it weird having the cameras there? Because it wasn't just like your business. It was very much your personal life and your own finances on display. Yeah, it was, you know, the show is weird that way and that it is so personal, but it's, you know, for me too, the same thing, you know, we filmed our wedding. It was the same mini series. It was four episodes, our entire wedding. It's a lot of work, but I'll always have that. Right? Other people have wedding videos. I have a complete documentary series um, with high intense drama and good production value for the entire wedding process. That'll always be fun to go back and watch, you know, and I can play it for the baby or, you know, when she gets older. Um, but listen, the house is, the house is great. Uh, it's good publicity for the house, right? Whenever you know we ever want to sell, which will be never because I built this thing to die in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you know, it's uh, it's I don't know, it's cool, it's different, but it is very personal. Yeah, very personal. Quick, a few more quick questions because I know you've got to go in a few about 101 West 14th. Um, let me ask, did you have any input in the design? Because the design is absolutely gorgeous with the developers while they were designing it. Um, in, in 101 West 14th Street? Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, actually, well, yeah, we had design choices when we were finalizing all the stone and some of the cabinetry. But for the most part, they had really designed it on their own with ODA or on Chen and uh, their interiors uh, team who did a really, really great job. I, I, we, we just made kind of a few tweaks. Also, why do you think, what is a good reason to take in a, to buy an apartment there now, post-pandemic? Not just investment-wise, because obviously, listen, no matter what's going on, short-term, long, long-term, I would say, New York is always a good investment, okay? Everyone, yeah, everyone knows that. But let's say you're buying a home. You wanna you wanna live there with your family. What what would be the reasons to to live there other than location, other than design, the amenities, et cetera, the floor plans? What what are the reasons why someone should choose that spot? 
Uh, I think the ability to live in a house in the sky, right? There are a lot of apartment buildings and everyone's on one floor and that's fine. But what we learn from COVID is that you don't just live in the square feet, right? You live in the ceiling height. You live in the outdoor space, right? You live in your natural light. You live in the views. And 101 West 14th Street has volumetric square footage that no other building has. And if you're sitting at home and you're working from home all day long, there's a big difference to your quality of life, your mental state, your happiness. When you have an eight-foot ceiling above your head where you feel like the world is closing in on you, or where you have a 20-foot ceiling above your head, where it feels like this is true luxury. And you also have separation between bedrooms. So the kids can be upstairs, and you and your spouse can be downstairs working and sleeping. So you have some separation, which is what's nice about a house. Uh, and the majority of the apartments at 101 West 14th Street have that setup, which works really, really, really well. Um, and then you have amazing light, amazing views, great amenities, great service. You know, there's a great gym, beautiful lobby, great co-working space, lounge space. So it works in all the buildings we have. You know, we try to make sure that that when we're designing them, we're not just designing an apartment building. We're designing a vertical neighborhood. So why is someone going to move into this neighborhood? What do they get? Right. What is the benefit about being in this neighborhood versus any other neighborhood? Um, and you have that at, at Quay Tower in Brooklyn as well. You know, the Brooklyn market is incredibly busy. Um, it's very active. People are buying things left and right. And we have a tower on the water in Brooklyn Heights that just has the most amazing views you've ever seen. Access to the marina. I didn't, I didn't even know before we took on this building that you could have a boat slip in New York City, especially in <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> you have chauffeur service. You have all these things. But the amenities in the building are incredible. The rooftop space is amazing. The lounge, the bar area. But then the apartments are floating on the water. Right. Looking back at Manhattan, which is probably the best view in New York City is of New York City. And so kind of all of that stuff combined makes makes these buildings, uh, you know, an amazing investment and a place to live in with family. This was this was such an incredible treat. Um, this was so this was so interesting. I think that this is and I'm not just saying this. I'm not, you know, flattering myself as a host. I, I have just never seen this side of you as as a whole just in one in one interview the vulnerable side the business side the family man all of that and i really yeah. cannot thank you enough for giving it to me and my audience and of course. just thank you thank you and you know what it was kind of the i've been going through it a little bit and i got to tell you this was kind of the reality check and something i really needed to hear so you have personally touched me today. So oh. thank you. Well, thank you. No, th thank you. Thank you, Ryan Serhant. Um, and where can people follow you? At Ryan Serhant everywhere.